All right. Good morning, everybody. Happy new week. I hope you're doing amazing. Um, last week of school term, uh, Bernie and I just realized we're both going to Fiji at the end of this week, which is super, super exciting. Um, and um, she's right here next to me. She's based in Melbourne. She's one of my authors that oh, we just reminisced. It's been four years um, since we met and started this journey. And actually, Bernie is the author of two books. Show us your books, Bernie. Um, I love them. As you can see on the right-hand side there, it's the colour outside of your lines. And then her latest book is uh, Children of the Twelve Tribes. I'll show you a little close-up picture here um, of that second book. And it's actually colour internally. I love that. Um, but let me give you guys a little bit of an introduction of who Bernie is her professional introduction, and then we're going to go through and talk about today's topic. All right, so let's uh, get stuck into it. And she'll explain what she means by well-being, no dieting or exercise required. And if anyone has comments or questions, please post them in the chat because I am actually, Bernie, looking at my phone below this Zoom and I can see people who are watching and I can, we can answer any comments and all that. So guys, Bernie Goulding is a Fijian Australian nurse, educator, speaker and author of The Colour Outside the Lines, One Girl, Two Tribes and Children of the Twelve Tribes. She spent a decade in the Pacific initially as a public health sister volunteering in remote Fijian villages and learning the importance of language, connection, culture and traditional medicine on Indigenous health. With the Fiji Red Cross, Bernie developed the UN Peacekeepers War Injuries Program, introduced community training for, for prisoners, coordinated emergency response following natural disasters and created the Fiji Swim Program, teaching thousands of children water safety and life-saving skills. She now lives in Melbourne with her husband, John, and their three children. She is a national health, safety and wellbeing leader and director of Diversity Network Australia, a social enterprise which publishes stories and provides diversity and wellbeing learning programs for schools, communities and workplaces. Wow, Bernie, that's, that's a hell of a lot of things you have done um, over your time. So please enlighten us where did the passion I guess to want to write the book I mean four years ago you and I met in one of the Melbourne face-to-face -face workshops what was the trigger for you I wanted to write a book for for 10 years and share my learnings and stories about um, trying to fit in between uh, Australia and, and Fiji. So I grew up in the 70s in, in Melbourne and it wasn't always easy to be a person of colour in, in the communities where I was. And I really struggled with my identity. So my mum's Australian, my father's Fijian, but I was having a lot of issues working out where I fit in. Uh, hence my, after I finished my nursing training, heading off to the Pacific and trying to connect there. So I've taken all of those learnings and shared lots of my stories in colour outside the lines, uh, because thankfully I found you in February 2018 uh, and booked in to start my journey with you as well. I love that. And um, tell me a little bit about uh, why you chose the, the title of the topic, well-being, no dieting or exercise required, just so we can clarify for people who are just jumping on thinking this might be about weight loss. <laughs> 
So a lot of uh, my story and even uh, the kids book really is all about well-being. So how can I be happy and okay and navigate my way around the world? And uh, I, like many people, have been uh, an intermittent gym junkie. Uh, I used to do lots of sports when I was younger. Uh, and once I started to have kids, I really struggled. I'd do lots of gym sessions and then I wouldn't. Uh, I uh, did reminisce with a couple of friends of mine. I've been on uh, different types of dieting programs probably for over 30 years. Uh, but what I found through the book journey with myself uh, and all of the supports that your, your whole team has given me is that well-being is really about my relationships with myself, my family, my friends, my community. And if I get those things right, then the other things will follow. So I'm certainly not saying diet and exercise is not needed, but I think for a lot of people, it's it's a lot of things that we've included in our well-being triangle that for me were more important to get right first. And I think in, in your words, quite often you are talking about mindset. So what's really important about mindset and starting from a good place? Yeah, I love that. And, um, you know, relationships are so important. And like, you know, that self-care, I think if we have that self-worth and confidence within ourselves, then we are going to do the things necessary to be healthy and well. Yeah, I love, love that. So what do you talk about? Give us a little bit of an insight uh, into what um, your passion is and the, 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 the common thread throughout your books that we can get benefit from? So uh, really good questions. A lot of that journey I actually sorted through while I was writing the book because that process really helped me clarify. Uh, in the book, I talk about understanding your history. So that's your, your personal and family history, but it's also the history of the, um, the communities that you came from. So in my case, uh, Fijian and Irish English Australian and then uh, it was working out okay that's my history some of it uh, was really challenging uh, in amongst my dad's family there's a lot of trauma because they did grow up in poverty uh, he lost his mother early they were kind of taken from place to place uh, and everyone was struggling uh, second world war uh, that's how they they uh, lived through the Pacific is a really key point of the book and so I've taken uh, what I learned about my history and the trauma and the beliefs that I had, and then I started building my wellbeing triangle. So the first element is security. How can I feel safe in the communities where I are, where I'm living? Uh, how can I make sure that I've got a response plan that I talk about for kids of colour even now in Australia, you know, 80% of kids who come from non-English speaking backgrounds will face racism at school. Um, that we do still have 5% of our population who are physically assaulted based on race and discrimination. And 20% of us will have one of those um, racial uh, and discrimination issues every year that goes on. So uh, unfortunately for people like myself, um, I'm married to John who's a Fijian, uh, so our kid, we have kids of colour and we do need to have plans so that they can respond to questions like, where do you come from? You don't belong here. Go back to where you came from. Unfortunately, is still something that a lot of kids face uh, and then how to keep themselves safe and really understand why it is that that uh, is an issue for some people. The second element is belonging that we talked about before. Uh, and the third element is identity. So how can I be comfortable and strong in, in myself, my background and all of the different 
uh, identities that I have mm. and how can I use that to build my purpose and then ultimately my well-being. Uh, so the process really did help me build that triangle. Yeah, I love that. And um, yeah, the safety response plan. So what does that consist of? Like, um, is it the ability to answer some of those questions if you get are in those situations? or Absolutely. Yeah. So the um, Australian Human Rights Commission and others uh, provide some advice about what to do if you are um, verbally abused, uh, physically threatened, uh, and if you're a bystander, so how can I help uh, support that person who may be, you know, the victim of, of that kind of um, violence or abuse. And quite often the answers are you've got to do what's safe first. So uh, I may need to make the choice about uh, withdrawing from the situation. If I'm a bystander, I might choose to stand with that person. But if I'm on the receiving end of it, I need to choose to walk away from it. Um, I may choose to report it. So if it's happening at school, it will need to be to teachers, to principals, uh, but also to parents. So I need to really um, make sure that I'm telling people around me what's happened. And if it's not safe for me to respond there and say, that's not okay what you're doing, uh, then I need to find safe um, adults uh, to, to help me go through that process. How old um, do children get taught something like this and how do they get access to it? Yeah, so within uh, the books I do, I've now started visiting schools and sharing diversity and inclusion messages uh, and also starting to respond to queries like, you know, we have an anti-bullying um, policy at school. They have their own processes that they follow. Uh, my journey is really about helping uh, share my stories, not just with kids of colour or people of colour, but also uh, for their increasing white allies. So who are the kids who can help support and help to shut down a lot of that attention? Uh, so within schools, it's teachers, but increasingly now it's students. And I'm really pleased to see um, we've certainly moved along since the 70s and the 80s. So kids are much more receptive to this message now. Oh, yeah. I, I can hear also the way my kids speak when they get home or what their beliefs and what yeah just the new values that they get instilled through the schools um are so different to the way things were when we were at school and all that sort of stuff so yeah I can imagine how hard it is you know for some um kids I mean I'm, I don't come from this country as well um but I, I think yeah it's it's a tough thing to assimilate and um and be able to deal with you know the the aftermath of what you know, kids do and how they behave because they don't know any better. They learn from consequences sometimes. Correct. And I think a lot of the, what I'm increasingly learning is that a lot of the beliefs that we have around uh, culture and, and racism and discrimination, it's not verbal. So you know how we learn a lot of our messages from the way we see people treated, but it's not that clear. And, and now in the world, they're talking about microaggressions or discrimination that's really subtle. Uh, so some of the work that I do both with um, my current employer, but also adding communities is teaching them about what that equality looks like and tying the message quite often to disability. So I know we have lots of authors who've yeah. worked through that disability uh, because one of the things I learned was the triangle's the same, not just for people of color, but also for people with disability who also need their security, belonging, identity, purpose, and well-being, yeah. which is great. 
You need to collaborate with Jules. I uh, so do. I'm watching her books as we go. Amazing you're stuff. I'm watching this interview right now because we're going to be having our meeting and, and yeah, she's spreading. I don't know if you watched her TED talk recently on um, inclusion and, and, yeah, she's got another book on the way. And so what, what's your passion? Like what are the things you want what the books to do in the world? Um, is it share more of this, you know, education and message? When I wrote the first book, I thought, feel it's done. And, and I felt like that was the end of the journey. And of course it wasn't. So it was just the beginning. After I wrote the book, it really sent me down this path of how can I support particularly Indigenous communities in the Pacific. Uh, so there's acknowledging the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander experience. But for me, it's really about how can I uh, support Pacific Islanders, some of whom are, are connected to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. Um, but it's sharing all of our history and our language because Pacific people pass things down orally. Not very much is written. There aren't lots of Pacific authors out there. So part of the journey was about encouraging people to also share their stories and their, their knowledge as well, which really led me to the kids' book. So uh, that started with a competition in the in the UN declared uh, year of Indigenous languages, uh, I encourage uh, kids to send me through simple words in their languages, artwork, uh, and I might actually turn to, uh, and some stories and poems. So we got some amazing artwork from lots of kids, and I'm so grateful that you let me publish those in in colour because it has been so well received. And the kids that contributed to that book, they're now using that as, as part of their resume and applications to get into universities, to get scholarships to do further education in Australia and New Zealand. Awesome is that, I love that, I love that. Part of um, me getting my son into um, his high school, um, the book up there, I actually, you know, we encouraged and did it together, you know, for him to release it and it was, for part of like sending it to the school because we weren't in the zone <laughs> so we were kind of going maybe he'll be looked up on more favorably and um he certainly got a spot in the school he wanted to go into but that's a really powerful thing to do you know imagine like kids you know being featured in a book or having written a chapter or something you know that would be a really cool project for you to do is now do a collaborative book with kids who write a chapter this was they contributed the illustrations is that right yes they did uh stories they so short stories sharing their experience yeah. in the beginning of covid uh they did lots of poems and songs but also uh really just snapshots of what it was like to be uh an indigenous indigenous person wherever they were so uh i got some amazing stories from 12 different tribes hence the story of the book so they came from everywhere they all got a little bit of prize money which also helped them to pay for school fees and books as well yeah very cool I love that I love that so how is the then the process the difference I mean um uh you obviously were compiling a lot of the stories and things in the second book versus the first book you just wrote yourself what was that how was the difference in doing each of those projects uh, I was really lucky to do one of the residential 48-hour programs. And so I just had an amazing time with lots of really cool, I think we were all women, but uh, one gentleman who was in our program. But it was a really relaxed way of doing it. And, and because you have a format, format and a plan to follow, 
then you didn't get stuck. So I, I can be guilty of procrastinating and wanting it to be perfect. And I did need Stuart to tell me to let it go. <laughs> uh, as we were working through version number four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Uh, versus the second process, it was about collating. But I was still working with your team to, uh, to make sure that I got them all in the right bits and got some really good recommendations, of course, and, and finally got it out there and published. Yeah, I love that. And you've done some other little things um, alongside the books that you've published. Um, I was just stalking you before the interview and I, I had a bit of a look what you and Nick had done. Um, do you want to tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, if you don't mind. So one of the things, uh, Nick Walsh is uh, one of the educators with The Learning Curve. They do school journals and yeah. uh, we published a wellbeing at work journal together. So they use the PERMA framework, but again, a lot of it is mindset and supports and just teaching people to be kind, the value of gratitude in the workplace. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the reason that we put that journal together was really uh, how do we help people in COVID who are staying home where we're seeing increases in conflict uh, and people just being tired and fatigued. Uh, so that journal I'm really proud of is a bestseller. Mick is certainly well known uh, in in the sector and they sent books to 20 different countries, but I'm it's the first one we've done for workplaces and it's been really well received. I love that. Oh, that's really cool. And I love like how th those extra products and resources have come from and now there's a suite of different things that people can access and, and get help from. So so is there another book on the cards? I mean, there has know, to be. I told you writing books is very addictive. <laughs> you thought it was going to be it after the first one. What's the next one? What do you think the next one's going to be about? I think I will still continue to uh, collect the tribes. So we did 12 um, tribes initially, but we've got 24 island nations that we could pull stories from. Uh, and I think at the moment, you'll see when you go to Fiji, there's there's such a, uh, a resilience and a happiness that people in the Pacific who are living in poverty, they're in the most disaster prone area of the world. It's cyclone, volcanoes, floods, tsunamis, climate change. So all of those things continue to impact, uh, but they're really, really well grounded and they've got such a strong sense of identity and pride about their, their history and their cultures. And um, I wanna learn more and, and share more about the Pacific because I keep telling people we're the biggest region in the world. If you put all of the Pacific Ocean together, we make up 40% of the planet. So we need to start leveraging that. Yeah, I love that. I love, yeah, there's just so much. And I think um, you're a trailblazer. Someone just commented, you're inspirational. A oh, <laughs> you know, in, in, in what you do. And, and I've had the um, great pleasure to help you. Like a handful of Pacific um, people, you know, write books, which is so rare, like you said, within, you know, that people just verbally pass on the stories. Um, rather than you're putting them now and making something more concrete. So it doesn't get lost in the history. I think to, uh, Pacific people tend to be a very humble and shy yeah. uh, community. We're very community-based. So uh, yeah. in Fiji, they say, um, if, if you put your head up and maybe put your hand up and say, oh, I, you know, I think I might be really good at this, there can be a bit of a reluctance to to acknowledge and and we are very fearful of shame. So making mistakes and, and um, being found to be wrong. So overcoming those additional barriers in the Pacific is something that I'm certainly encouraging people to do. 
love it. I love it. So what does the future hold? What, what, where do you see yourself in the next five to 10 years? So I'm doing lots of work as well as my day job. I'm doing lots of work with Pacific Islander communities that are here as part of our seasonal worker program. Uh, also working with in with WorkSafe Victoria to develop resources to keep them safe where they are. Uh, I will be doing more children's stories, but also I'm doing more in the diversity inclusion training space. Uh, and I'm also doing mental health first aid programs in my workplace, but also for communities uh, where they are vulnerable to mental health issues, especially at the moment. Yeah, I love that. So for people to find out a bit more about all the things that you do, they just can check out your website. Is that right? Yes, so the website's being updated today. I'm hoping it will be back on online and live in the next 48 hours. Uh, but certainly it's on the website. We've got Facebook pages, as you recommend, for Diversity okay. Network as well, where we have all the information in there. But I'm, I'm happy for people to also reach out via email, Facebook or LinkedIn. Yeah, love it. So the website, guys, is diversitynetwork.com.au. So if you're listening to this as a podcast or you're watching this video, it will be live in the next <laughs> 24 to 48 hours from right now. So please look it up because, um, um, you know, you'll be able to access and kind of read and educate yourself. I think it's all about educating and then we bring self-awareness and what's out there, what's happening, how how can we help and all that sort of stuff. But I know if you're keen um, to check out Bernie's books, they are available on Amazon. I'm just going to share my screen, uh, Bernie, to show here um, uh, where they are. So as you can see, I've just um, put in Bernie's name, Bernie Goulding, G-O-U-L-D-I-N-G. Um, and you can see the two books um, there. There's a Kindle version and a paperback version there of, um, of the books if you want to get uh, access them today. Um, you know, I'm sure um, they'll support, you know, many people who, you know, need it and uh, Bernie can continue doing her amazing work. Anything else you'd like to kind of share, you know, anyone that's thinking about writing a book about the process and, you know, um, any words of wisdom? I think everyone's got a story to tell and there are so many valuable stories out there that don't get told because it, it can be overwhelming without the supports that you get and even if you get the process right in the beginning having a team to encourage you through is is so important so whether it's other authors or the the Facebook groups you've got uh, they were really key in both my books being being finished, otherwise they still wouldn't be done. So for those who are out there thinking about it, I'd really encourage people to wherever you're going to go to get a, a team or a tribe around you yeah. to help you write that book. That is so important. I love that. I love the fact that you use the word tribe because it is. It does feel like a tribe when you know all the people, the experts that are involved in the projects. But at the same time, then our retreat groups who are you know, together doing it as families and because we don't make them too big, um, they do feel like a like a tribe because um, everyone gets to really get to know each other and becomes its own mini communities within the whole bigger system. Like we're about to do the 40th retreat in May, 40. <laughs> I think you were probably around 20, um, number 20 back uh, when it was. But, um, yeah, we've got 40 little tribes that have gone along and so many of them stay in touch to this day I still because I'm part of every single messenger group <laughs> they still pop up um, you know people chatting and sharing successes many years on and all that sort of stuff so Bernie the last thing I want to ask you is what are maybe two or three things 
that we as you know can um when we think about diversity and inclusion you know let's talk about the minority groups or the indigenous groups what is it that we can do um to help spread your message more or how what do we need to say or tell us <laughs> give us some advice so i think in terms of the pacific communities that i work with it's asking the question and also giving them voices. Uh, so if you have Pacific Islanders where you are, even people being uh, interested enough to ask, you know, can you tell me a bit about your language, your culture, your history, uh, making sure that people feel included in the workplace. So celebrating diversity at work, at school, uh, out in community is so important. And I think in terms of that safety element, just realising that for a lot of people of colour, in terms of the stress continuum, quite often as soon as they step outside of their doors, they're in that orange to red zone where they're kind of waiting for things to happen. So if I know that, uh, sometimes I can help be the, the ally. So how can I support them, stand with them on public transport, uh, certainly at, at schools, making sure that I teach my kids to be inclusive and appreciate the different languages and cultures uh, as part of that safety plan element. Uh, but increasingly just understanding that the wellbeing triangle really applies to everybody. We're all connected and we're all uh, very much the same in what we need our disability communities, our communities of colour, but also uh, all, of our, all of our tribes. And I've got a wonderful white tribe that supports me, my mother's family, and also my friends who have been really instrumental. So uh, I think they're the key things for me. Yeah, all right, so I got it. Number one, be curious, ask questions, all right? Um, you know, and find out more about other people. Number two, or celebrate. Um, and, you know, when you're with people and the different cultures, what an awesome thing to just try out different foods or talk about different songs or dances and things like that. And number three was like um, uh, in, include people, like be when, when they're around you or if you feel, some, feel someone is kind of like left out, bring them in. And, and I think basically if you actually make your workplace as diverse as possible like uh we in our um uh organizational company now have people like vivi's from the uk jules is obviously australian but she's you know very much in that um uh, disability diversity inclusion field comes from that kind of background we've got people from in macedonia who are working on book layout and designing in bulgaria and we've got lendy in the philippines and and so we we actually i think everyone brings in so many various strengths from their culture of how they work and um ideas and i think if you if we were all the same i think things wouldn't grow as much as they do when you actually tap into all of these different, you know, values and um, perspectives, I think I think it brings in uh, growth and and real flavour to things. Don't you think? I think that's so true. We're only now just starting to see uh, how valuable um, people of colour are to, you know, to media, to movies, to songs, to music and other things yeah. where there is is more of a voice. So I, I think uh, I'm really lucky to have a really diverse team at work mm -hmm. and we just work so well together. That flexibility, but also appreciating different things is how we all learn. So, um, and on your team, of course, are exactly the same. Uh, and it makes it so much more fun. You just like, you really get to find out about other people's worlds and what their lives is like and, 
and all that sort of stuff. And um, I've often, I think because I've been that way when we've attracted also authors from all sorts of um, minority groups, not just racial and disability, you know, uh, with a sexual orientation, whatever it is. I just like everyone to me is just a person, you know, what do you need? What are, you, what are your problems? I feel like I've always been able to, you know, just be quite accepting of, um, of everybody. And I really just love, 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 love finding out more about, you know, what's important, where are the values and how does that all differ? Because if we can, um, I believe if we can learn how to communicate and be accepting, the, the world's really our oyster and there's just so much we can choose, you know, uh, moving forward. So Bernie, I really appreciate your time this morning. I encourage everyone to go grab Bernie's books um, and check out her story and the Children of the 12 Tribes. Show us the books one more time in the in the screen, Bernie, and lift them up. Or are you frozen at my end for a second? Hopefully you unfreeze. Uh, and um, and yeah. look, and there you are. You're unfrozen now. Show us your books one more time. Have you got them there? Yay, there they are. They're beautiful. I love your covers. So you can they feel so you know uh, authentic and traditional to who you are. Yeah, and um, and guys, um, her website is diversitynetwork.com.au. So just check that out um, after the next 24, 48 hours. But this video and audio is going to be out there for a long time. Um, so I'm sure, um, you know, you'll be able to see it. And if uh, you want things sooner rather than later, go on Amazon and go grab those books from Bernie Goulding. So have an amazing week ahead, Bernie. Thank you for your time. And maybe we'll bump into each other uh, in Fiji. And is it Vinaka that I say thank you? Is that it? Bula hello and Vinaka, thank you. Well done, Matt. There you go, Vinaka. Have a great day. Smash it out, guys. <laughs> Bye.